We will be in the Gospel according to Mark. It's in the New Testament. If you're not familiar with the Bible, it's uh, on the right-hand side of the Bible. The book of Mark will be in chapter 16 this morning. It was on Friday that their teacher and their leader was nailed to a cross. He was crucified, and there he bled, and he died. The man that they had followed daily for three years, his body is now in a tomb. And Jesus' disciples find themselves hiding for fear of being killed themselves. The hope is gone. Jesus is gone. None of them are waiting for the third day. Sadness, grief, tears, hopelessness. Jesus had died and was buried in a tomb. I wonder if they thought about the three years of following Jesus and if it had been a waste of their time. That after witnessing Jesus' crucifixion and death, they faced a lot of distress in their life. What are the disciples to do now as they're hiding? Where are they to go from this point? Because Jesus, the one whom they loved, the one they followed, is gone. Well, as we look to the Gospel of Mark, he describes a glorious event which we not only gather for today, but every single day for the believer. And it's the truth of God's word that Jesus Christ died and has risen to life, conquering Satan, sin, and death. Look with me at Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. We're blessed to be able to open the words of our Lord and God, that we have to know the truth of God and what he has done. And so again, Father, we ask for a blessing on the reading and the preaching of the Word of God. As you look at Mark chapter 16, which we just read, we come to this morning on the third day in which the women that we just read of are on their way to the tomb. And the question that we see in verses 1 through 3 is they ask, who will help us? Who is going to help us this morning to move this large stone in front of the tomb? 
Mark uh, says in the previous chapter that these same women witnessed Jesus not only on the cross, but they saw him die. We know from other gospel accounts, they also saw the place where he, his body had been taken and wrapped with uh, aloe and myrrh and, and strips of cloth and where he was placed in the tomb. And it was the women who were not the disciples that had been with Jesus for three years. They were hiding for fear that their lives would be taken as well. And so it says when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome, they brought spices to go and anoint Jesus. This is the reason for going to the tomb was to go and see a dead man's body. Their purpose was to go to the graveyard in that sense and to see where a body that no longer had life in it was, where they would take spices and they would anoint uh, this body. And as they did that, they did that because they loved Jesus. This was an act of love that they were going to the tomb early in the morning after the sun had risen. It says very early. On the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying, who will roll away the stone? Obviously, the stone is large enough that three women could not move the stone. They need someone who is stronger to move this out of the way so they could go into this tomb and see the body of Jesus and anoint his dead body. Again, think of the devastation of their lives. They're followers of Jesus. They love Jesus. And now they're going to the place of the dead with despair and with grief, not expecting anything but a body wrapped in cloths. And I wonder how many of us have experienced despair and sadness much like these women. I know that many of you in this room have probably buried loved ones, people who are dear to you, who you love and that grief and despair, you know that, they, that these women would have as they go. You've experienced that. But imagine going to the funeral home to prepare a service for your loved one. And the person there is leading says, I'm sorry, but your loved one's body is gone. I mean, imagine the shock that you would have. Just as what these women were experiencing when they go to the tomb. Just like Peter and, and John when they run to the tomb later. The body is not there. In verses 4 through 6, we see that the women are told he is not here, that they're seeking Jesus, but he is not here. In 1980, I was six years old, and I don't remember much about it other than a picture of Mount St. Helens when it exploded. Some of you know very well because you lived in places like Missoula where ashes fell upon the ground many, many miles away. But as I read about Mount St. Helens and saw pictures and videos of that moment, to know that smoke and ashes rose 80,000 feet into the sky and ashes covered over and were disposed in 11 different states, to read of the glaciers and the snow and the ice on that mountain, on that volcano that became a flash flood that reached up to over 50 miles away to the Columbia River. The power of that explosion and the heat is, a, is just amazing. I was reading that over 230 square miles of forest were just broken over. They were knocked down by the wind and rock going up to 670 miles per hour. 
Some of you know this well. Some of you have been to the site and seen those trees that were knocked over. This huge explosion of power. We might think that's just powerful. Mount St. Helens was a great display of power. But it's nothing in comparison to what the women experienced that day. The power of God to raise his son from death to life. The women, though, are going to see a dead man and they need someone powerful to move this stone. In Matthew's account, in chapter 28, verses 2 through 3, it says, Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. It says his appearance was like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. We know from the gospel accounts that God sends this angel and God also makes an earthquake happen and the angel rolls the stone away and sits on top of it. And this is who the women encounter when they come to the tomb that day. But do not forget that on Friday, as Jesus hung on the cross after he said, it is finished, he stopped breathing. The blood stopped pumping through his heart. His mind stopped functioning. He died. And when the soldier went to test to make sure he was died, they took the spear and shoved it up under his ribcage, and blood and water flowed, showing that Jesus Christ was dead. And after the women see this angel in verse 5, they go into the tomb and they see a young man who's sitting on the right side, just as the accountant Luke says that there's two angels there. And this guy is dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he says, don't be afraid. Don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. I looked at that word crucified, and I wanted to know what does it actually mean in the original language that it was written in. To be crucified means to crucify the flesh or to, or to destroy the power utterly of the body. There's no more power or life in the body when the body dies. But he says to the women, he is not here. He says he is risen. See the place where they laid him. He is, not, he is risen. He is not here. And therefore you see the ultimate Sovereign power of God who raises Jesus Christ, the Son of God, from death to life. Jesus was dead. It was witnessed that he died. But God caused the body of Christ, the heart, to begin to pump blood. He caused the mind to begin to function he caused the lungs to be able to be filled with oxygen. Jesus Christ, who was dead, is raised to life. And that is the power of God. And if you think of the power of God to raise the dead to life, that is an unlimited power that cannot be boxed in. It cannot even be measured the unlimited power of God. For God to speak and say, let there be light and create this world just by His Word is so powerful and amazing and wonderful and glorious. So you should not be surprised when it says that a dead man was raised from death to life. But do not forget this. 
the Gospels tell us. The prophets declared, the New Testament writers write that Jesus Christ was not just a man, but he is also God. Jesus Christ, the God-man. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who gave up his glory in heaven and was born, adding humanity to his divinity, fully God and fully man, died and was raised to life again, as First Peter tells us, by the power of God, the Holy Spirit. And therefore, it's the Holy Spirit of God that gives life. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us when we have sinned against a holy God and He's the one who leads us to salvation in Jesus Christ. It is the Holy Spirit who gives new life. It is the Holy Spirit who transforms heart. It's the Holy Spirit, as John chapter 3, causes the person to be born again. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ, though, is something that you must understand is essential for any hope in life, for any true peace in life, for all those who believe the resurrection of Jesus Christ must be true and must be fact for any believer to have hope and peace in life, for all those who believe. And you have to ask the question, then believe specifically in what? The Scriptures tell us that we must believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and bore the sins of his people, that he died in their place to save them from their sins, that when Jesus Christ hung on the cross, he hung on the cross to save his people, and as the word of God tells us, that the sins that you have committed against a holy God, for his people he bore them. He became sin who knew no sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. So you're lying, you're stealing, you're cheating, your, your, whatever that you've done against the word of God and broken his law, that Jesus Christ took that for you so that you could be brought close to him and be saved. And so we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross in the place of his people for their sins. And we believe by faith that Jesus Christ is God as he spoke of himself, as the prophets declare, as the scriptures reveal to us and we believe that God raised Jesus the Son from death to life on the third day. Amen? Yes. All right. But think about this. If Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sins of his people, we have forgiveness. Wonderful. But if he remained dead in the tomb, then Christians, believers, followers of Christ who are forgiven... Don't raise from death to life. And that's horrible. Yes, to be forgiven before a holy God, but to remain dead for eternity. And that's why the resurrection and Jesus being raised from death to life is a central truth of the believer's life. Many days of our life, if you are a follower of Christ, we think about the cross and we thank Jesus for forgiving us, for pouring out his blood that we could be forgiven of our sins. But we should as much rejoice in the empty tomb because just because it's resurrection Easter Sunday and we gather and I'm teaching out of this text today doesn't mean that tomorrow and the next day and the next day and every moment of your life, if you're a follower of Christ, that you forget about the empty tomb. If you forget about the empty tomb, you don't have Christianity. 
You must believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins and that he rose again on the third day from death to life. The resurrection, as the scripture teaches us, of Christ raises his people from death to life. So when you die, I mean, we are waiting. I was talking with a sister in Christ this morning. We are waiting for the return of Christ because he says, I'm going to return. But if we have to wait longer and all of us in this room die before Jesus comes back, the word of God is clear that says for the believer, those who believe in Jesus Christ, when you die, your soul goes immediately to heaven. Your soul is perfected in holiness and your body goes into the grave. If you're not a follower of Christ, you do not go to Christ when you die. You are separated from Christ for eternity. And Christ will return one day, as He's promised, and the day of judgment. And all will be raised. And the saints will be given a new glorified body. And there will be this day where God judges the living and the dead. And all who have rejected to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior will be cast away in hell that was actually created for Satan and the demons. And those will face the wrath of God upon them for all eternity. And for the believer, they will enter into eternity in a glorified state with their inheritance, Jesus Christ, for all eternity. And therefore... Your focus should go to the cross and rejoice in the forgiveness of Christ and then it should go to the empty tomb that Jesus Christ is risen and that he is reigning and ruling now. Look at the last two verses in verses 7 and 8. He tells them, you will see him just as he said. Verse 7, but go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. The angel commands them to go do something. Go and find the disciples that are hiding. Tell them what you have seen and what I'm telling you now. And go tell them what Jesus has already declared to them, that he will meet them in Galilee. He sends them away with an urgent message of hope and of certainty. And the women go to tell the men He says, just as he told you. And I reflect on that this week. What a reassuring comfort and peace we have from God's word. Just as Jesus said to them, I'll meet you in Galilee. And the angel says, just as he told you. We have the word of God, whether you believe it is or not. This is the word of God. And so God has said And we believe and we are blessed to have the word of God, that we can read the truths of God and the promises of God and that he fulfills every one of his words all for his glory. If you turn over a page to Mark chapter 14, page or two, whatever it is there in your Bible. In Mark chapter 14, it's beginning in verse 
26. This follows after Jesus gathered with his disciples. They ate a meal in an upper room. This is the night that Jesus Christ is arrested, that he's betrayed by Judas, that he's taken away to these illegal courts that happened in the middle of the night where false witnesses were brought before him, that where Jesus was punched in the face, where he was beaten, where a crown of thorns were woven and put upon his head, where he was scourged, where he had his beard ripped out, where he was spit upon in his face, and mocked repeatedly before those moments that he was before he was led to the cross that evening he had a meal with his disciples whom he called his friends and as he gathered them he told them take this bread take this cup these are going to be points for you to remember of what I have done for you and in verse uh, 26 through 28 and when they had sung a hymn they went out to the Mount of Olives And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But look at verse 28. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to where? To Galilee. God's word is amazing. God says, and he fulfills. They had no idea that what he was talking about. They didn't understand until after the resurrection when they were with Jesus that all that he said, even three times specifically, Jesus said, we're going to go to Jerusalem, the religious leaders are going to kill me, and I'm going to be raised on the third day. And they didn't believe it because they didn't understand. Their eyes were not opened. But here we have the word of God, and I pray your eyes are open to the truth. He said, this will happen, and I'll see you in Galilee. What does the angel say to the women? Go tell the disciples and Peter that he's going before you into Galilee. He is not here. He is risen. But I don't know if you saw, if you turn back to Mark chapter 16, verse 7. It says, but go tell his disciples and who else? Well, who does it say there after that? Peter. If you don't know who Peter is, he was one of uh, the three closest followers of Jesus. And Jesus told Peter, before he went to and was taken that night, he says, Peter, tonight, before the rooster crows, tomorrow, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, no way, Lord, I will never do that. I will go to my death for you. But when Jesus was arrested, just as he said to them, and uh, he said, the, 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 sheep, the shepherd is taken and the sheep are scattered. When Jesus was arrested, all the disciples ran. They fled. And Peter followed at a distance and he saw where they took Jesus. And three different times people said to Peter, hey, you were with Jesus. You were one of those followers. No way. Don't know him. You're lying. The third time he curses and says, no way do I know the man. And Luke tells us that when, Jesus, that when he opened his eyes, the rooster crows, he looks up. Jesus was being led through the courtyard and looks right at Peter. And Peter just breaks. And he runs from the place. And despair and grief because what he did was that he denied Jesus. But what a great message of hope here in verse 7 of forgiveness and restoration. Go tell his disciples and Peter. Peter, he hasn't forgotten you. And I think about the guilt and the shame that Peter would have had, what he would have gone through. Later on in John chapter 20 of this restoration of Peter between Jesus and Peter in a conversation there. But know this, the same shame 
and guilt over his sin is the same shame and guilt that you experience when the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin? In John chapter 16, Jesus told the disciples the Holy Spirit will come and he will convict the world of their sin. To be convicted of your sins this morning, your guilt of breaking God's law, of doing uh, wrong against him and sinning, that's a good thing. Because that tells me that the Holy Spirit's working upon your heart. And if you're a follower of Christ, it's a reminder of the forgiveness of God at the cross. And if you're not a follower of Christ, if you're not a Christian, you've come to this place and you're feeling convicted that you've sinned against the Holy God, then know that that is the, is the Holy God, the Holy Spirit, speaking to your heart and telling you of your sinfulness and that you need a Savior who can remove that sinfulness and make uh, your, your heart as white as snow as all the snow you saw this morning. That all that forgiveness and that darkness and that stain of sin can be removed by the power, the saving power of Jesus Christ. Verse 8, it says the women fled the tomb. They ran from the tomb trembling and they were amazed because what they had seen and what they had heard and they said nothing to anyone but they went to the disciples as we know from the other accounts of the Gospels and they go and tell them, they say, he's not there, he's risen. And again, the disciples hiding with locked doors. I mean, imagine that. I mean, what does that really mean for the disciples who have, in despair, have lost their hope? Really, what it means for them is this. Jesus is clearly the Son of God. Jesus is who he told the disciples that he is, God. That the disciples now have a reason for living because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And that Jesus Christ has powerfully overcome Satan and overcome sin and overcome death because Jesus is is God. Did the disciples believe the women? No. So Peter and John, they take off running. At first, they didn't believe. They run to the tomb. Peter goes into the tomb. They see the burial cloths there laying where Jesus has been laid, and they go out amazed. That day, Jesus would appear not only to the women, but to the disciples, to others. There was a man named Thomas, a follower of Christ that was there. He wasn't there when Jesus appeared to them. He said, I'm not going to believe until I actually see Jesus and touch the holes in his hand and the hole in his side. Did people see Jesus after he died? Yes. Many, many eyewitnesses. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, a wonderful, glorious chapter that I want you to go and read today. It's about the resurrection. Go home and read this individually or with your family. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 3, the Apostle Paul writes to the church and he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. In accordance with the scriptures, meaning that he fulfilled the prophecies that were said that he would do this, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, who is Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive when Paul wrote this, though some have fallen asleep. 
Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, unborn, or born, he, born, he appeared also to me. Numbers of people saw Jesus. They touched Jesus. They ate meals with Jesus. 500 people at one time. Don't believe the History Channel that tells you that 500 people hallucinated that day they saw Jesus. Every single year, I'm so sick of it. The History Channel and the Discovery Channel tell you all these fake, false things, and it's a message of Satan. Simply read the Word of God and believe. Jesus Christ was not some apparition. They didn't hallucinate. 500 people don't do that. They saw Jesus. He taught them. He ate with them. They physically touched him, and they saw him ascend to heaven where he's reigning right now as the King of kings and Lord of lords. His kingdom reigns, and he will return. That's what I believe, and I pray that's what you believe. Did the disciples believe in Jesus that he was resurrected? Yes. They were so convinced that they were martyred. They died for their belief in Jesus Christ. If this morning a bunch of soldiers came in this room and put a gun to your head and said, deny Jesus Christ or die, I wonder how many of us would die for our faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know that people around this world die daily because they believe in the resurrected Savior Jesus? I pray that you are a true believer and that you would stand and lose your life because you believe the truth of God's Word. If you look there at 1 Corinthians 15, a couple more verses before we close here. The Apostle Paul writing about the resurrection says this, if you're a Christian and you believe in the resurrection and there's an issue with it, then you have a big problem. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter, or 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 16 through verse 22. He says, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Read this chapter of wonderful, glorious declaration that Jesus Christ has risen from death to life. But if you are here and you're a Christian and Jesus Christ has not been raised, then you have a great problem and I have a great problem. If Jesus Christ is not alive, Paul says the world should feel sorry for us because we're believing a lie. And many in this world believe that we believe a lie. Yet if Jesus is not risen, he says your faith is a mistake your faith is in error, and you, you have some illusion in your mind of Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ is dead and not alive, you are still living in slavery to sins, and your sins have not been forgiven by your Lord and Savior because He's dead. You're not set free. If Jesus Christ is not alive, if He has not risen, then everyone who has died believing in Jesus Christ are eternally dead. 
If Jesus Christ is not alive, if he is not risen, you have no hope, no joy, no peace for anything in life, but for you to just enjoy whatever you can in this world and just die. If you do not, if Jesus is not risen from the dead, then the preaching that I'm doing of the gospel to you is utter worthlessness, and it does nothing for anyone. Do you see the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do you see the reason why believers have hope is because we know that in Christ, when we die, we will be with Him for all eternity. And for all who die in their sins rejecting Christ, they will be separated for all eternity. And so, many of you in this room know of the power of the resurrection because Christ has already changed your life. You know that Jesus Christ has died and that He has risen to life, that He's conquered Satan and sin and death. And you know the truth of the gospel because the Holy Spirit has opened your eyes to the truth of gospel and you have believed that Jesus is Lord. And you know that you've had a changed life. You know that your heart's been transformed that your life before Christ was vastly different than it is today. And you have joy and hope and you are awaiting the return of our Lord and Savior. And you, like I, pray every day, Jesus, come back today. I'm weary in this world. I'm tired of seeing what's going on. Jesus, return. But you have hope to continue through every day because the Holy Spirit dwells in you and empowers you to walk in holiness and righteousness with your eyes to the sky, declaring the gospel news to the rest of the world and waiting for Jesus. And we have that promise. Jesus had a friend named Lazarus who died. And he was in the tomb for four days. And Jesus Christ went to the tomb on the fourth day. And he told them to move the stone. And Lazarus' sister said to Jesus, No, he's been dead for days. He stinks. Don't do, don't do that, Jesus. His body is there rotting. And Jesus says this to Lazarus' sister in John 11. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he says to her, do you believe this? And my question for you who may have come today not believing that Jesus Christ is Lord, not believing that he is alive, not believing in any of the truths of God's word, the question for you is do you believe? Because I find in, in numerous years of ministry that every year I find the, the annual um, trip to the Easter Museum in churches, in every church I've served in. People that every year, they attend a Easter church service like a walk through a Jesus Museum. They go to the crucifixion exhibit. They look at that. They look at the burial exhibit. They look at that. They look at the empty tomb exhibit over there, and they look at that, and they're kind of like, hey, it's a cool story. They go home, and not one regard for God or Jesus the rest of the year. Maybe they might stop in on Christmas Eve because they like the account of baby in the manger. But then they return back to the Easter Museum and there's no hope because they've never understand. And so again, the question for you, if you're here today because you were invited, a friend brought you, family member, you felt like, I got to go to church because it's Easter, is do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord? 
Do you believe that Jesus Christ, that he came and lived a sinless life? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross in your place for your sins? Do you believe that his blood that was shed is sufficient enough to forgive you of all of your sins and to make you righteous and that you would be adopted by God the Father as a son and a daughter of his? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is risen? Those are the things you have to wrestle with today. The last verse, and then the worship team is going to come up and we're going to sing. Jesus appeared to that one disciple, Thomas, who said, I'm not going to believe unless I see him. Unless I touch his hands, I am not going to believe these things that Jesus is alive. Jesus shows up, the disciples, Thomas is there. He sees Jesus with his eyes, and here's what happens. Then he, Jesus, said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? And then Jesus makes this statement about us today. Blessed are those who have not seen and and yet have believed. Believe in Jesus Christ, that he is Lord and Savior, that he has died on the cross to bear the weight of your sins, and that he's been raised from death to life, conquering Satan, sin, and death, and know that he is returning. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. As I pray and the worship team comes forward, um, There's nothing that you may have heard all your life, pray a prayer to believe in Jesus and be saved. Um, I can't find a verse that says that. So pray. Ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins. He's given you the ability to believe the gospel truth. Say, Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I need to be saved today. Whatever words the Lord puts in your heart and mind to say, say that to the Lord because he does the saving work. And know that. You don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops like every religion in this world tells you you have to do to be saved. Know that Jesus saves because salvation belongs to him. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, we thank you again that you would give us your words for us to read, to understand, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to rejoice in, to be saved by. Father, I pray for all the believers that are in this place that they would rejoice today of the forgiveness they have in Jesus Christ, that they would rejoice and praise you, Jesus, because you are alive, and that as we go from this place today, that every moment of our life, would be moved by the power of the Holy Spirit to live for you and that you would receive the glory. And Jesus, we pray and ask, come soon. And Father, for any and all who are here that have come to this place, not saved, but you've done a work of salvation in their life today, I pray that they too would be filled with the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And they would now be able to join in with the believers and rejoice because they know that salvation belongs to you. We praise you and lift up your name, Jesus. Amen.